The following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, this is your word that was just read, and this is your church. And we are your people. So I pray now, would you by your spirit come and implant your word within us. And free us. Free us from ourselves. Free us from ourselves so that as Bryant prayed at the beginning, your name really would be hallowed, your name that your kingdom would be done, that your will would be done. Please do that a little bit more here on earth as it is in heaven. So please, please push your grace further into us. Please push more of yourself into us now. Make your word clear, I pray. Would you guide me, guide my words? Would you please fill me now? Not for me, but for you in us. So we look to you now as we look to your word. In your name I pray, amen. <clears throat> the question before us this morning is, what should I do differently in the new year. What should I do differently? It is natural for us to ask this with the turn of the calendar. The holidays give us time to stop and sit back and reflect and to take stock and to make changes. Whether it's about fitness or finances or our faith, it's natural for us to think about how we are fulfilling our callings, our vocations, and whether or not we should, we should keep on with the same things or change something in the new year. It's natural. The same question is being asked in Zechariah 7. And in this sermon, we're continuing this occasional series in the latter part of the Old Testament around the time that Jerusalem fell. The people had been deported to Babylon. And just as God promised, they spent 70 years there and now they've returned. And they've got a question. Verse 3. Should I weep? And abstain in the fifth month, as I have done for so many years? Every year on the anniversary of the fall of Jerusalem, they would ritually mourn and fast to uh, remember the fall of Jerusalem. And they desired now the continuing favor of God, and they, they seem to think that his favor is somehow, uh, his favor in returning them is somehow connected to that previous ritualistic practice of fasting and mourning every fifth month for those 70 years. And so now with the turn of the calendar, this momentous turn of their calendar, they ask, what should we do? Should we keep this ritual or should we do something else? And to their question and to ours of what should I do differently in the new year, God gives us some really important first principles. There's a lot of details to be worked out from these first principles, but some first principles today in a, in a two-part answer. 
a two-part answer. First, God immediately turns our what question into a who question. A who question in verses 4 through 6. God responds to their question with a question. Was it for me that you fasted or yourself? That's the first simple point this morning, a question. Was it for me or for yourself? Was it for me or for yourself? God does not immediately give them a straight answer because he sees what what we catch a, a whiff of in the words of their question. As I have done for these many years, it's the whiff of self, of self-pity, actually. God is saying, before I tell you what you should do going forward, let's, let's talk for a little bit. Let's think about what you did in the past. More specifically, for whom you did it. Was it for me or was it out of self-pity over, over losing your wealth and your land? Your, your grief is understandable. I, I grieved with you the whole time. God is not a God who delights to bring grief. He he delights, as we will see, in mercy and loving kindness. I did not delight in chastening you. But when your grief turned into self-pity, does that not reveal something more fundamentally about who you are fundamentally about? About you. Many of, many of the questions that, that we have, we, me, me included, that this time of year, are driven by these same kind of motivations. It, it takes many forms, but it, it all has the same root of self. How we look physically. What's our financial condition like? How close we feel to God. Verse 7, God's question could be put in a different way. If you did change what you were doing, what would fundamentally change? Would it not just be the same song, different verse? Whether it's fasting or when you're eating. Whether, whether I'm prospering you in the past or putting you into exile. Either, either way, does this self-pity right now not reveal that your fundamental stance in your life is, is bent towards you? So the question we must ask as we, as we plan for the new year, as we think about resolutions and what I'm going to change, what I'm going to do differently, or what I'm going to do the same in the new year, is, is not first, what should we do next? The first question we must ask is, for whom in the past have I been living? That's the first question. It's not a what question, it's a who question. If we changed anything for whom would that change be for? We must ask this question because this God, this God of the Word, this God who is actually there, He is not a little servant God who jumps up when we snap. God, give us what, we, what I want. He doesn't just give us a straight answer to our questions that, that, that really only revolve around us because He is God and we're not. He is God. He does not exist for us. We exist for Him. He is God. And there is no square inch of the entire universe. There is no square inch of your life. There is no spare little moment of your life, little part of your life, over which God does not say, Mine, as is His right. He's God. And He acts as he does solely out of his sovereign will, period. 
And this is good news for us, as we will see. But, but, but so then, whatever we do in the coming year, whatever changes we make, you know what? It, it might be great for you to lose weight in the coming year. It, it might, I'm not looking at anyone in particular when I say that. Uh, it, might, it, might be, it might be really good for you to save more, spend less, you know, re- rejigger your investment portfolio. It, it might be really good to pray more, be more consistent in your Bible reading. But the first thing we should ask is, who would I be doing it for? Would I be starting to pray more so that I could really, you know, really dial it in with God and receive his blessing? Or would it be so that his name could be hallowed in the world? That his kingdom would come, his glory. Would I read my Bible so that I can be, you know, more right in Bible study and more in the in crowd in church? Or is it so that I can see God? Would I want to lose weight to be more active and present as a parent or as an employee? Or is it, is it, so that, is it because I, just, I feel so bad about my profligate eating over the last year and how I compare to other people's bodies? Would I want to save more because of how bad I feel about my profligate spending in 2018? Or is it to be generous to missions so that God's name would be made great out there? Which is it? Which is it? This is the question. Is it about you and me, or is it about God? This is the first question. But then we have to remember that this whole business um, that we're talking about here is is not about taking just, you know, what we want and then putting a God wrapper on it. Hashtag blessed. Um, No, 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 no. When we ask these things... We need to ask, what actually then, therefore, does God really want from me in 2019? What, what actually is that? Because the God who is there, the, the God who is God, is not interested in reflecting us to the world. He does not, He made us, and that's good, and He called it very good when He made us, but He has enough of us. What the world needs more is God. What he wants is more of himself reflected in the world. And this is by no means egotistical of him. This is good, as we see in verses 8 through 10. As we live to him, then he is reflected into the world. He is reflected because to live for God equals living in love for our neighbor in the world. Through this love, God changes things. God changes things in our church, in our society, in our culture. So, to put it simply, get God through, through our love. God wants to reflect into the world two aspects of his nature. Truth and peace. Through love. Truth and peace. <clears throat> With other people, verse 9, God says, I want you to render true judgments. It's not enough to simply render judgments that follow the letter. You can, be, you can be correct and you can still be unjust, unkind, unmerciful, proud. 
as parents, as bosses who evaluate employees, as, as elders and deacons in your group, in your relationships. God wants love-drenched truth. That's what he wants. So then, verse 11, this needs to go right down to the, the deepest parts of who we are, who are to, the, to the secret thoughts of our hearts. We're to be about this, this love-drenched truth and the most secret thoughts that we have about one another. And then we are to pursue peace by showing each other kindness and mercy, paying special attention to how we treat the most vulnerable around us. We're not even to come close, God says, to taking advantage of the widow, the orphan, or the immigrant. So just stop for a moment and ask, in your New Year's resolutions, and you're thinking about the new year, has the word immigrant entered into that at all? Has the word uduk entered into that at all? Immigrants who are right here on our doorstep literally every, every Sunday. Where are they in your plans for the new year? <clears throat> this is what God wants. And of all the things God could be about, why this? Why, well, why is this? Well, this word translated kindness here is the same word that is most often used to describe how God relates to us. It is most often translated as steadfast love, if you have the, the most common translation we use here, steadfast love. Some, some other translations call it faithful, loving kindness, like that. Um, for any of us who call this God Father, this, this word describes how he has been to us, his children. We who were once spiritual orphans, widowed of all hope, who were far off from his kingdom like immigrants. For any of us who call him Father, it's a result of this steadfast love, this loving kindness that he has given to us in Christ. So to treat the most vulnerable this way demonstrates that we have actually come into contact with him, that we are indeed his children. It's a demonstration of the imprint of his grace upon us. That's what he wants. He wants to reflect that into the world. That's what he wants from us in the coming year. And as his name is seen this way, as, as his name is associated with this, this truth and this, this loving kindness that results in, oh, ultimate peace. Oh, his name is hallowed. Against such things in the world, there is no law. These are beautiful things that people universally find beautiful because we were designed to find them beautiful. And so when people see this, his name is hallowed. And as his name is hallowed, society is changed. First our church and then the world. Think, think about, uh, if you can, especially after the year we've had, think about a, a culture a society where leaders always tell the truth, where they always render true judgments. Think about a society where the weak are always treated fairly, where mercy and kindness are normal. Or turn it over in verses 8 through 10. We see the very things that, that when they go, they will topple any family, any church, any nation, any culture. It just takes three things. Just, just three. 
which is really, it's really just one thing, but first, the, the loss of truth. The loss of truth. Secondly, the, the loss of, the, of a connection with, a sense of this, this steadfast love of God, which really all boils down to, to number three, a, a loss of the knowledge of God. This God. You lose that, you lose everything. It doesn't matter what plans you make, how strong your military is, how strong your devotions are at home, how many dates you go on in your marriage. If you lose these three things, you lose everything. But you've got to believe me. This is what the Word of God says. This is what we must prioritize over the coming year. This is it. You lose this, you lose everything. Israel lost this and lost everything. This was written down for our instruction. These words, upon whom the end of the ages has come. So, are we about these things? Is this us? So, we, we should say amen to these things and then we should be humbled by them. Because as we think about our culture, who, who is left? Who is left in, in our culture that has a connection to these things? To truth, the truth, the life, the, the steadfast love of God, the, the knowledge of God. Who is that in our culture? It's us. Not really us, God in us, but us. So what does God want from us now in the new year? Whatever we do, it, it, it takes the shape, it must take the shape of the great commandment to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what God wants. So before we think about our fitness or our finances or even, even the quality of your own faith, before you even think about that, God says, I want these things, these three things. That's what I want. And I detest, God says, the hypocrisy that pretends to be about these three, these three things, but it's really about self. I hate that. Okay, so you, you ask, well, what about the oxygen mask analogy? You, you know, you, before you put the oxygen mask on the passenger next to you, you got to put it on yourself, Right? I gotta get me right first, right? I gotta get me, I gotta, I gotta love me first enough so that I can love the world, right? I, I gotta get right with me, right? I mean, isn't, isn't, isn't how it works? This, this I, I, I am personally convinced, is, is one of the most subtle and harmful assumptions that we make about ourselves, Christians included, but, but the world at large too. The assumption is that there's this empty love cup inside of each of us that, that's got to be filled up in order for us to love others. But this puts, what this does is it puts our empty, leaky love cups at the center of the universe. And it makes God's reason for existence to fill up our cup. God exists for our cup. He's secondary. This is first. This is so dangerous because it keeps Christians from... From, from focusing on what we ought to be doing and, and instead of waiting on our leaky love cups to be filled. Well, the whole question of the love cup has been answered by God in Christ already. 
And meanwhile, an entire generation spins happily on to hell. No, what our world needs most, what our children need most, what our PTAs need most, what our office mates need most, what we need most, is not to feel that we are loved more, but to forget ourselves altogether in love of God. That needs to be our primary goal for the coming year. By living in in love for our neighbors. That's how we express this love of God. By living in love to our neighbors. So the first part of God's answer is a question. For whom have you been living? For whom have I been living? That's the first question. The second part answers with a how. How do we overcome this this? This gravity that self has upon us. How do we do this? How are we empowered to live to God like this? And the answer comes beginning in verses 11 through 14 as God reviews a little history. So let's, let's think counterfactually here. What would have made things different for Israel? What would have made things different for them that there's still time and opportunity for us to pursue? To change. And the simple answer comes, for, comes to us in the second part of verse 12. There it says, Lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his Spirit through the former prophets. Israel's great problem is that they lived with their own self directed agenda. Instead of the Spirit's agenda revealed in the Word. So the second point here today, the the how is simply this. By the Spirit, through the Word. By the Spirit, through the Word. And where the Spirit takes us first in verses 11 to 14 is to the end. the, The end of life lived for self First, we, we see in verses 11 and 12 that our habits, our habits focused on self, that they're, they're doing something to us. They're doing something to us. Even, even our religious habits or the innocuous ones like, like weight loss that, that everyone else cheers. Any habit that's lived for self, any habit, has the effect of dulling us to living for God. Think about that. Any habit, lived for self, has the effect of dulling us to God. Our, our attention, he, he gives several pictures about our bodies here. Our attention gets rigidly focused only on our own thoughts and our own assumptions about our world. We, we won't listen to anything else. Our shoulders become, become twitchy to the hand of God resting on them. Our ears, as, as your footnote may say, become too heavy to, to perk up and hear God's words. And our hearts become so dense and full of self like a diamond that there's no room left for God. So it's good for us to ask ourselves at the beginning of the year, what, what habits do I have? What habits are there in my life that are kind of on autopilot where I just, just do them and I... 
I have no sense of God, no knowledge of God in that at all. Is there anything like that in your life? Of course, there, we all have this. Yes. What are they? Because eventually this, this track, this trajectory leads to a love-drenched anger from God. Because God indeed loves creation. He loves um, all people. But living for self only leads to desolation. In the end, God says, if you want to be all about yourself, have it your own way. Be, be by yourself. Be alone. Be utterly alone. That's the end. We keep reading our Bibles and the Spirit shows us most clearly the, the end of living for self on that desolate hill in Jerusalem, the hill of Calvary. When we see Jesus on the cross, we see where living for ourselves ends. God's face turned away. Stripped of literally everything. Separated from everyone. Under wrath. Under desolation. Utterly alone. So I question... In, in the last year or years, have you experienced a taste of this where we're living for yourself, where living life for yourself is taking you? Have, you? have you experienced a taste of this? Have you experienced something of the consequences, the, the pain, the loss? My, my question is, what have you done with this? What, what's been your response? Has, has it been to curl into something that's, that's like self-pity or, or self-pride and self-abasement or self-promotion? Just self hyphen blank? Or has it been to turn to God? Because if we don't turn to God, then we're, we're just becoming people who are, are just more well adjusted people on our way to experiencing this same tragic end ourselves. I implore you, don't make resolutions that just make the ride to wrath and the loss of everything more comfortable. If you've never trusted in Christ, turn to Him. Because as we keep looking at the cross, we see that it's not our face there, but it's the face of Christ. We see that God himself has, has gone ahead of us, has, has followed this trajectory of living for self, and he's followed it all the way to its full conclusion. He's gone there ahead of us, and he's taken the blows for us in our place, in Christ. He's done it for us. He's gone all the way down to the end of our shrinking, dense, self-consumed life and He's borne all the wrath for it Himself instead of us. He's followed it to its conclusion. He took our place. So I ask you, have you turned to Him? Have you turned to Him? Have you trusted in Him? Because... We who have, we who trust in Him. Jesus not only takes our wrath for us, but He opens a new way for us by His resurrection that we just sang about. In His resurrection, he, we have a new life. As, as Paul puts it in Romans 6, Jesus died to sin so that the life He lives now, He lives to God. The life He lives now, He lives to God. And as Paul put it in Galatians 2, we too who are in Jesus have died with Him in that same death and we have been united to Him in His resurrection so that we too may live to God in Christ. And it's by 
the Spirit, that God connects us to this life, that the Spirit is our connection to Jesus' resurrection life. We live in His new life by living by the Spirit. The Spirit does this through the Word by which He renews us to love God and love the world. So what we all need What we all need right now is to live our lives to God. That's what all humanity needs, to live our lives to God. Who are you living for? But the only way that any of us can come and and be turned and be renewed from the inside to live to God is by dying, by dying to ourselves, by trusting in Christ, by living by faith in Him, by the Spirit. That is the only way. We need this deep renewal, all of us, so that we can live to God. So we get freed from ourselves by the Spirit showing us God. And the first thing that we see is God at the cross is so very for us. This God is so for us. So the question of the empty love cup is sem- it's settled. It's not even a question. There's no such question. It's not a thing. It doesn't exist. There's no cup. There's no cup because Jesus filled up the the cup of the wrath of God and spilled his own blood at the cross. There's no more cup. Not for us. Where we were once bloated with the empty air of self, God God has filled us. The Lord of hosts has filled us with his very self, with his very spirit to connect us to the life of Jesus. That, that empty life bloated with the empty air of self, Christian, that's no longer you. That's no longer me. That's not us. We're filled now with the very Lord of hosts himself, the Spirit of God. And the beautiful thing about the cross is that all of the demands, all of the demands, all the things that that God just said, I want and I demand from you to reflect from me into the world, they were satisfied, they were fulfilled in Christ, by Christ in His life for us. So now what's left for us, what's left for us is to live the life that is in the Spirit. Connected to this one who has done all for us. That's all that's left for us. To walk in the Spirit. Sometimes we talk about this Spirit-led life in ways that make it sound both really cool and attractive and like totally impossible to achieve. (laughs) Because it's so personal, you know, and so... Kind of mystical and out of this world. It is supernatural. It is a supernatural life. But it is also very concrete and oftentimes very simple. Very simple. The Spirit gives you and I certain certain gifts, certain capabilities, talents in order to fulfill our callings in this life, our vocations. Where the real power comes from, where the, where the world really changes, is when you and I employ those giftings, not for ourselves, 
Not to use others to fulfill ourselves, our, our desires. But by the fruit of the Spirit. We, we are changed and our world is changed when the Spirit in us deploys our gifts with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And the fruit of the Spirit that so many year-end resolutions are all about. What? Self-control. Self-control. What do you want to do in the new year? What do you think you should do? Well, whatever we do, if we do it for God with the fruit of the Spirit, as, as Paul says in Galatians 5, against such things, there is no law. It will be good. Because it will be all about God. Because it will resemble God and be driven by God and empowered by God and have the flavor of God and the character of God. It'll picture God. So, our need is to be filled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and have the gifts that the Spirit gives us be deployed and employed in a way that is filled with, with the fruit of the Spirit and characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. Think about how your workplace would change if everyone was filled with that fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in your workplace. How would that change? Sheesh. So let's get more concrete about being filled with the Spirit. So first, just Christian, think about this. Just listen to do first. Just think for a second. You have the Spirit of the living God, the Lord of hosts, within you. Yes, we desire to be more filled with Him. Yes. Yes, but you have him. You have him. So I, I preach this sermon with great optimism of where God will take this because if you are in Christ, you... I, I could say this about everybody in this church, all, all different demographic groups, but I'll, I want to say this especially about the young men because you are put down these days you, our society expects so little from you. And you are, you are considered to be the poison behind most of the world's problems. You and Christianity itself. And, but you, you especially, I want to say, you have this power already within you. As John says in 1 John, you have overcome the evil one. You see what I'm trying to say? That you have this. You, you have, not you, but God in you. You have the power to, to lead people in your world, to, to lead the people around you to that which would lead to their flourishing. You have, you have the power to lead people to the truth, to live a life that renders true judgments. You have that power. You can be that guy. You, you have the power within you to, to, to be a provider, a generous, self-sacrificing, Christ-like provider. I'm not wagging my finger at you. I'm saying, you have it. That's you. You have the power within you to protect 
your family, your church, your employer, this city, your culture, from all of its evils, you have it. You are that guy. You are. <laughs> you have it in you. I have great confidence. I don't mean this to sound like a Hallmark card, but I have great confidence in you. N not you, but God in you. So does God. So how, how can we get more of this spirit? Well, if he's within us, let's start by simply asking him. <laughs> let's just start by asking him. God, fill me with your spirit. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us. Push out the, that, that empty air that still remains, that still tries to fill us. Push it out. And the Spirit will always, always answer through His Word. So, I, I want to challenge you this year. Instead of asking, how can I read my Bible more this year? Let's ask instead... How can I bring the Word of God to bear upon more areas of my life? Where in your life are you not mastered by the Word? To quote a quote from over the urinal. Where is that? Where, again, what, what areas of your life are you kind of just on autopilot? And, and there is no spirit leading and there is no Word domination over that life. Where is that? We all have them. Where is it for you? Because no matter what we do for God, if we are not being led by the Word, if we are not being led by the Spirit, brother or sister, it's worthless. Worthless. It doesn't matter. In the end, it will not matter. The cross is proof. The cross is your picture. It will not matter. Unless you are led, unless I am led by the Spirit and informed and dominated by the Word of the Spirit over that area of life. So what is it for you? What is it? Well, th this question for me, but, but also for, for everyone, is, is impossible to accurately answer without the, the informing of others. Because we all have blind spots. So who can you team up with in the coming days to discuss what, what aspects of each other's lives need more of the, the leading of the Spirit and the, the domination of the Word over that life. Who, who, who can you talk to about that around here? I know, I know you may have friends way off, but they, they, they don't see you day to day here. Who, who sees you day to day here that you can talk to? And if you don't know, talk to me. Talk, talk, to, talk to an elder. Find someone. It's impossible to answer this question without the input of others. It's impossible. But a beautiful picture at the end of Malachi, just in my Bible reading this morning, that it's a beautiful picture that, that the response of similar preaching to Malachi, the people responded by talking to one another, by discussing it among themselves, it says. And God rewarded it. God didn't reward perfection. He just rewarded the people taking the word seriously and talking about it amongst themselves.
God is a God who rewards those who seek him. Okay, so, so, so what about setting goals then? Please, can you please speak to this? Can you, can you please speak to it? What about resolutions, making plans for the new year? Well, let, let's think about this with God's straight answer that he finally gives in chapter 8. I, I had read, Josh read from, from chapter 8, verses 18 and 19, because it finally there God gives the final answer. In verse 19, thus says the Lord of hosts, these, these fasts that you ask about, they shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Cheerful feasts. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. God's logic is essentially, look, if you want to fast, fast from lying and discord <laughs> and pursue love, truth, and peace. Do that. That, that. That's all I want. That's all I want. By my spirit, through the word. That, that's all I want. If, if you do that, feast. Feast. All the, and God adds to it. Not only the, the fifth month, the seventh month, the tenth month. Feast. Enjoy your life. <laughs> so, we, okay, so let, let's think about this and think about how, are there notes here that from the Old Testament to the New, are there, are there notes, are there keys that get transposed to the, the New Testament with the cross? Well, as we remember the cross, we remember that as I said, Jesus is the one who has accomplished all of the things that God demands. What God demands from us, God has provided for you, Christian, in Christ. All that God demands from you, done by Him, by Christ. So now, now all that is left for us, we're going to do this next week, now all that is left for us is to feast upon Christ so in the coming year, make it your ambition, first and foremost, to feast upon Christ. But remember, re remember something. Next week when we feast in communion, it's only going to be a cup and a piece of bread. It's only going to, it's only going to be only a celebration of what Christ has already done, but, but only in anticipation of what is coming. And what is coming is the feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. So to sum up what I'm trying to say, all that God calls you to has been fulfilled in Christ. And all that God calls you to in the future will be fulfilled in Christ, in His return. So here's my, here's my thought, that, and it's a, it's a, it almost feels nonsensical, but to me it makes sense. The secret to fulfilling your calling in the coming year is to realize you won't fulfill your callings in the coming year. You won't. 
They will only be fulfilled at the marriage supper of the Lamb when we really feast, when Christ returns. Then all of your callings will be fulfilled then. You don't, the secret to fulfilling your callings is to realize you don't have to fulfill your callings. They have been, are being, and will be fulfilled for you in Christ. So all that is left for us in the coming year, all that is left for us is to turn all that we have, all that we have towards God Give ourselves to Him and ask Him, fill me with Your Spirit. Direct me by Your Word. And brother, sister, that'll be more than enough. The world is changed. The world has been changed. And the world will continue to be changed upon the shoulders of such people. People filled by the Spirit of God, Lord of hosts. So... I'm optimistic about this. I'm optimistic not because of me, not because of you, no offense, but because of God in you, because of God in me. He will do it. So let's ask him to do it. Let's pray. Father, please do it. For some of us here, well, let me start with me. For me, as I, as I prepared this, there were certainly areas of my life where I, I know are on autopilot. and I confessed those to you and I, I bring those before you and I, I bring them weekly. Not weekly like time, but weekly as in I've, I, don't have, I, I don't have it in me to, to do anything about it. I, I just bring it to you. I just bring it before you and say, here, it's yours, Father. But I'm confident, I'm confident in your promises that by your Spirit you'll do something with that, with that weak offering. I know you will. And I know you'll do it in us because you love to. You love to. So would you. Wherever we have sensed a, a bit of repentance and a, a bit of turning in an area where we need to turn, will you, will you make that repentance happen? Will you do it? Will you enable it? Will you enable it by your Spirit? Would you cause your Word to dwell in us richly so that rich fruits would grow up? And I pray that by your Spirit you would take those fruits, cause them to grow, and then employ our gifts in the world in such a way that people catch the whiff, not of self, but of you, God. That they see you. Will you please do this? Will you hallow your name, bring more of your kingdom to light, cause your will to be done among us and through us, we pray. Do this. And fill us with joy in the process, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. 
We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.